Good morning. Wish you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What a joy it is to draw near to God, to come together, um, to worship Him, and to hear His word as it prepares us uh, better to glorify and honor Him in our lives. Uh, for I've been away from the pulpit for uh, a few weeks now, and uh, I must say it's a great joy to know that God continues to speak to us and encourages us from His Word. One of the things that I love saying is that um, for us to be served better um, as a church, um, it's good to hear from different voices um, to show that indeed God's word is sufficient and God's word um, it does not belong to just Pastor Karamo, right? Um, it is a word that has been given and God serves us in different men. And I thank God, I must say, for um, Mr. Nyoni, um, our elder here in church. Um, he is a blessing not only to the church, but also to our family. And so we are really, really thankful for the gift that he is for us. And continue to pray for us, that we may serve you better, that we may serve with joy, right? Um, this morning, um, I want to take you to first, to John, not first John, John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 19, about to verse 34. The title of this sermon is Filled with Joy. Filled with Joy. John chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 34. Let us look at the Word of God. Before we do that, we will present this time to the Lord in prayer. And um, this season that we are in um, is, is called the Advent season. The, the term Advent, it, it, it means the arrival of a noble person or thing. And in this case, it is referring to, to the arrival of, of Christ. In fact, the term Advent has um, two, it refers to two events. It refers to the first coming of Christ when he was born, and it refers to the second coming of Christ that we are looking forward to. So in other words, it has a, a forward-looking aspect when we are anticipating the coming of Christ. And it also has a backward-looking aspect where we um, look at um, Christ having come for the first time. And um, we are going to consider the backward aspect of, of that. So in John chapter 1, verse 19 to 34, let me commit this time to the Lord in prayer, and then we will um, look at the word of God. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, 
what a joy it, it, indeed it is to draw near to you, to know that you speak to us from your word. May our hearts be opened to receive your truth. May our hearts be filled with joy at the testimony of Christ, Christ who has, who has come, who has um, become the perfect sacrifice on our part. May you be glorified and exalted as we hear you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who prays. Amen. But well, when people talk about the Advent, um, most of the time, when you read theologians, they speak of the Advent as being something like a pregnancy. The, the waiting is hard and uncomfortable. The delivery is clearly painful. And the longer the wait, the longer the delivery, the more difficult it is. This is true for all pregnancies, but it's especially true for couples who have a hard time getting pregnant. It can be very discouraging. We experience, we experience something similar as we wait for Christ's return. There's a lot of difficulty in this life, and it can be painful and discouraging. But if you've been blessed to have children, you know the joy that comes with the birth of a child far outweighs the anxiety of waiting and the pain and anguish of childbirth. In a similar way, the joy of Christ's coming far outweighs the light and momentary afflictions we experience as we wait. When Jesus spoke to his disciples about leaving, leaving them behind and returning um, to the Father in John chapter 16, listen to what he says in verses 20 to 22. He says to them, you will weep and lament, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. As we have noted and seen from our series, several series on the Psalms of Lament, that we live in a world full of trouble, right? We experience the brokenness of our world in our relationships and in our hearts. But when Christ returns, our sorrows will give way to joy. There will be comfort for God's people, comfort and joy. The same was true before Jesus' first advent. Right? There was sorrow um, then as well. Israel was living in a wilderness of sin and waiting for the coming Messiah, for the Christ, like a woman in labor. But when Christ came, there was joy. At least, at least for, for those who received Jesus as the Son of God and believed in his name. Uh, John the Baptist was one of those whose sorrow was turned into joy. In, in John chapter 3, verse 29, he said, that the one who is the bride is the bridegroom. 
the, 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 the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly, or as the MIV quoted, is full of joy. As the bridegroom, as the, as the bridegroom's voice, and therefore his joy, this joy of mine, is now complete. John's waiting, in other words, was over. Israel's tiresome waiting was over. The bridegroom had come. The Messiah, the Christ, was here. Sorrow gave way to joy. But why? What was it about Jesus that caused John so much joy? And what was it about Jesus that can give us joy as we wait for his return? How can we have joy in this broken world? And it seems to be a question that uh, sometimes haunts us, right? How can we have joy in a world that is filled with affliction? A world that is broken? In our passage this morning, John the Baptist tells us, his testimony about Jesus tells us why we can have joy while we wait. And it has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. Let us look at John chapter 1, verse 19 up until verse 34. I read from the ESV, follow me as I read God's word. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. This is John the Baptist. And said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Oh, I'm reading from verse 9. Verse 29. Verse 19, actually. And this is the testimony of John when he sent his, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask them, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had they, they been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of his sandal, I am unworthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who, who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, uh, John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have been and have borne witness that this is 
the Son of God. This is the Word of God. Uh, this passage is all about Jesus. Well, sure, when you read the passage, you find that the, the main character is John the Baptist. But he's, he, he's simply a witness that John the Apostle, the writer of the Gospel according to John, has called to stand to, to the stand to testify about who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. And as we listen to his testimony about Jesus this morning, we'll see why John was full of joy and how we can also be full of joy as we wait for Jesus' return. This passage, as we read it, is divided into two parts. Verse 19 to verse 28 tells us about who John is. They establish the credibility of his testimony. Verse 29 to verse 34 give us his testimony. They tell us about who Jesus is and why he came. Let us look at um, verse 19 to verse 28. We begin with John here. Who is John the Baptist? He, he was a witness who prepared the way for and pointed people to Jesus. And, and this teaches us something about who we, who, we, who, who we should be as well. Right? It teaches us that as a witness, uh, that a witness is someone who prepares the way and points people to Jesus. In verse 19, we are told that a delegation of priests and, and Levites were, were sent from Jerusalem by the Pharisees to learn who John was and why he was baptizing people in the wilderness. But when they ask who he is, all that John wants to do is tell them who he is not, right? You'll notice that as we read, he gives three denials. He says, I am not the Christ, I am not Elijah, and I am not the prophet. And for the sake of time, we'll look at the, uh, the first of these three denials, when John says, I am not the Christ. Look at what he says here. It is important to know who we are, isn't it? But it's also important to know who we are not. John the Baptist knew who he wasn't. He emphatically denies that he is the Christ. Verse 20, he confessed and, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. The Christ is the Messiah. He is Jesus. The, the one who has promised to come and, and save God's people. The, the one everyone was waiting for. John knew that he himself was not the Christ. David Brunner tells the story of a child who, who comes home from Sunday school and his parents ask him, so what did you learn in Sunday school? The child responds by saying, I learned about God. So his parents dig a little deeper. They say, what did you learn about God? To which the, the child succinctly replies saying, I ate him. That's profound, isn't it? It's bad grammar, but it's good theology. It's really profound. It's important to know who we are and who we are not. And it's especially important to know we ain't the Savior. Jesus is. And John knew about this. 
There is one God. That is the confession of, that should be the confession of every single individual in the world. And there is only one God, and I am not Him. But if John wasn't the Christ, then who was he? Who was he? That's what the religious leaders want to know. That is the question they come uh, to interrogate him with. He says he's the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 40 verse 23. In other words, John sees himself as one who would prepare the way for Jesus. When you look at Isaiah chapter 1 to Isaiah chapter 39, it it speaks largely of Israel's sin and and God's judgment on them. Then we get chapter 40, right? Then chapter 40 comes and and the prophet says to, to the Israelites, Comfort, comfort my people. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. Beginning in chapter 40 of Isaiah, it begins to talk about salvation and restoration. The the, the one who would bring salvation and restoration is clearly the Lord himself. But Isaiah also speaks of the coming Messiah. But before God's salvation could come through his Messiah, there had to be another. Someone crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John was the fulfillment of that promise. He was preparing the way for the Lord. How did he do this? Through baptizing. As we learn in Luke, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. He called people to repent of their sins and he announced the forgiveness of sins. John prepared the way for the Savior by showing people their sin, but their need for for a Savior. You can't understand the joy Jesus brings if you don't first understand the sin and judgment Jesus delivered you from. There is no way You can experience the joy of salvation without understanding the the, the ugliness of your sin and and the judgment your sin deserves and how Jesus delivered you from that. Our joy comes out of uh, uh, that reality, out of the reality that our sin is truly forgiven, that we are delivered, that we are no longer under the wrath of God. Amen. So, John's role was to prepare the way for Jesus. But he also pointed people to Jesus. When, when asked why he was baptizing people, he says in verse 27, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, 
Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. You see, at every turn, he is given an opportunity to talk about himself. But all he can do is talk about Jesus. He continues to divert people's attention off of himself and, and onto Jesus. He, he wants want the center of attention to be Jesus. He, he wants the main topic to be Jesus. The main idea to be Jesus. All he does is prepare for Jesus. All he does is point to Jesus. We'll see this clearly in verse 29 when he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold, look to Jesus, not me. Or as he later says in chapter 3, verse 30, He must increase, but I must decrease. Preaching is a phenomenon that has, in the 21st century, taken a different turn. Um, when you think about preaching, the art of preaching, um, you'll notice that we use sermon illustrations to illustrate the point, right? To make a point clear, to help you understand the point. And, and sermon illustrations are, are designed to shed light on the Bible, to, to make it clear. They are like a spotlight, right? A spotlight. And spotlights are supposed to be on the stage, right? They are supposed to illuminate what's on the stage. But so often in modern preaching, some illustrations are like a spotlight that has been rolled onto the stage. Preachers are supposed to point people to Jesus, but their illustration often say, look at me. In, in other words, they become the hero of the story. They, they eclipse Jesus. They, they become the ones who are the center of attraction. At the end of the day, when you leave after hearing them, it's about how great that preacher is. That is what so is John the Baptist. John the Baptist wants the focus to be on Jesus. He, he wants Jesus to be the main attraction. He, he wants people to, 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 to leave having heard about Jesus. In verses 6 to verse 9 of chapter 1, we read, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. To, hear, to, to, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He, he was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. It, it wasn't about John. It was about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. His role was to prepare people for and to point people to Jesus. This is so instructive for us, isn't it? We live in a me-centered world. We constantly are encouraged to promote ourselves and our image, to tell people what we've accomplished and what we've been through. 
John wanted people, to, wanted to point people to Jesus and to prepare people for Jesus. I'll give you subtitles, but I remember when I was uh, in Mudimunga, there was this old lady, um, and uh, she couldn't read. And uh, she was about 82 by the time. And so I, I used to go to her and sit down with her and read the Gospels with her, starting with Matthew and Mark, Luke, and John, and just, just reading through the Gospels. And one time she started talking to me, and she said this. I'll give you the subtitles. She said, quoting a hymn, uh, it's one of hymns. She says, in other words, what, what she, she was saying is that the, the, the main thing about my existence is to love Jesus and to point my kinsmen or people who are related to me and friends to him, the joy that is found in him. I exist to love Jesus and to point people to him so that they can see the joy in him. Isn't that what we must be doing? Isn't that how we should be living? You see, the remedy against a me-centered world is a Christ-centered world. A Christ-centered focus. The people that are consumed by nothing else but Jesus. John wanted nothing else but to point to Jesus. He didn't want to become the main act. God will use us to bring people to salvation. And this is a great privilege, isn't it? But none of us can save anyone. Only Jesus saves. Our role is to give our lives to preparing and pointing. None of us are John. Right? He was unique. He stood at the crossroads of all history. He, he straddled the old covenant and the new. He was the last great prophet. Jesus said about him that there was nobody greater who was born of a woman. We are not John. But, but there's so much we can learn from his example about, about how to prepare and point. We too can be involved in helping people see that they are sinners. That they are in need of a Savior. And we too can point them to the Savior. We can share the gospel with them. Right? So we, we see this... Uh, we, we, we see John here, and, and that's what we see John doing in, in, in next to our passage. First of all, the passage establishes his credibility as a witness. And secondly, we see his testimony now about Jesus. In verses 29 to verse 34, John tells us who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. He tells us that Jesus is the Son of God who came to take away our sins and give us eternal life. 
that this is the reason why we can have joy as we wait for his return. Everything that John the Baptist says about Jesus is driving towards his conclusion in verse 34. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. John the Baptist is John the Apostle's first witness. He called to the stand to testify that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That, that, that was John, the, the Apostle's main purpose for writing his gospel. He, he wanted people to come to believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they would have eternal life in his name. John the Baptist was sent by God, when you look at verse 31, to testify that Jesus is the Son of God. And that only through Jesus we can have eternal life. And that's why Jesus came to give us eternal life. And that's why John says in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But how does Jesus, the Son of God, give us eternal life? John answers that question in his testimony. He lists two things about what Jesus came to accomplish, and these two things are how we have eternal life. The first is the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Look at verse 29. John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That the Gospel of John highlights the Passover more than any other book. And here at the very beginning, we see that Jesus is the Passover Lamb. Who would have ever imagined the Messiah, the Christ, who would uh, not only be our perfect priest, prophet, and king, but that he would also be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The great shepherd of the sheep also became the lamb. He laid down his life for the sheep. He gave his life so that we might have life. That's how the promised Savior saves his people. Jesus came as the light of the world. He came to reveal the Father to us, but he also came to give his life. In him, was life, and the life was the life of man. Verse 4. In our sin, we live in darkness. In our sin, we deserve eternal death and separation from God. But in Christ, God has come near to us. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14. And not only that, He also died on the cross so that we could be delivered from the eternal death and given eternal life. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus by teaching us that we are sinners in need of a savior. But John the Baptist also pointed to Jesus, the one who died for our sin so that we could be saved. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is the first way that the Son of God gives us eternal life. He dies in our place as the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. The second way He gives us eternal life is through baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. 
baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. John came baptizing with water, but he pointed to the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit, verse 33. What this means is that through Jesus, we can, we can be born again. That the creator of the universe, Jesus, who came into his creation so that he would create, who he would recreate a people for himself. He came to make all things new. In verses 13, in verses 11 to 13, John the Apostle writes, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For those who receive Jesus as the, as the Christ, the Son of God, for those who receive Jesus as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, they become children of God, they can be born again. In our trespasses and sins, we are spiritually dead. We, we have hearts of stones. And that's, that's death eternal, right? It is, it, it is an eternal death. We will experience the wrath of God eternally. We will be separated from God eternally. But Paul tells us that those who are dead in trespasses and sins, those who are by nature children of wrath, they can be made alive together with Christ. That they can be saved by grace. That they can be given a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. They can become totally new. In fact, if we want to be saved, we must become new creations. We must be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus that unless you are born of the water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We must be born again. And through Jesus, Listen to this. You can. You can be born again. If you receive him, if you believe in his name, he has baptized you. He, 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 he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. So this is how we are saved. This is how we are given eternal life. Through faith in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Through faith in the one who died in our place, we can be delivered from death. And through the Spirit, we can be given eternal life and a new heart. John the Baptist teaches that lesson. He bore witness. He wasn't the Christ, but he pointed to Jesus who was the Christ, the Son of God. And if we, if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. Now, do you see why John was full of joy? Do you see why his joy was complete. The long, painful pregnancy has ended. The long-expected Jesus has come. The Christ child was born. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. The Son of God came to save his people from their sins and give eternal life. The tidings of comfort and joy comfort and joy. If you believe the great tidings, you too can be full of joy. Your sorrow can turn to joy as well. 
we sang this morning, joy to the world. The Lord is come. There's no way, listen to you carefully, there's no way we can say we have joy. It might be joy and synthetic joy, a joy that is passing away, but there's no way we can say we have true joy if we don't have Christ. Christ is the true source of joy. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you. We thank you for Christ who came, who walked amongst the Word, became flesh and dwelt amongst, and we beheld his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you for Christ. May our lives be about nothing else but Christ. May our hearts sing one song, the song of Jesus. Thank you for redeeming us in your grace. Thank you for making us new. Lord, if there's anyone who does not know you and who has not been made new, who continues to walk from their sin, who continues to be a child of disobedience, may, they, may their eyes be opened to the truth that the only way they can find joy is in your son, Jesus Christ. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>